Morning. <clears throat> so I've uh, I've been on this stage hundreds of times, I think, over the years. But um, I'm usually uh, hiding behind a instrument, which is my kind of happy place. So this is a bit unusual for me. It feels a bit strange. I was um, putting Lizzie to bed uh, last night, and we were talking. And I said, uh, "Well, I'm feeling a bit nervous because I got to talk to everyone um, tomorrow at church in front of everyone." And, and she said, "Oh, don't worry, Daddy, because." When I um, spoke to everyone at church, I was a bit scared, but it was all right. I said, oh, when? <laughs> so when did you speak to everyone at church? Um, and he said, oh, when I told them all about my Christmas present. And I said, oh, oh thanks. And I thought, she said, it'll be okay. So here we go. So that's the benchmark. <laughs> right. I'm going to read to you from the Bible. Okay. But not the passage. <laughs> In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by his son, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here's another one. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether things on earth in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And here's a bit more. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So I don't know if you recognize those, those words. I've, um, they're from... Well, does anyone recognize them? Do you know where they are? Hebrews chapter brilliant another one Colossians chapter 1 and Gospel of John chapter 1 1 1 1 Hebrews Colossians John Um, if you go and read them later and I you know that's a, a rich thing to do you'll find that they're very they're just these wonderful dense kind of theologically rich passages which you can just kind of get completely lost in um but it, I, why, why do I say this? Well, just thinking about our time in Matthew's gospel for the past few weeks. Now, the, the teaching team here made a deliberate decision to kind of take these stories and go, go small and go slow rather than just kind of march through massive chunks to kind of get through. And I think there's some real wisdom in that. And um, it's... It's easy, isn't it, sometimes to be a little bit dismissive of these kind of little stories about Jesus. You know, we maybe we've become familiar with them through through Sunday school and things like that. And then, as we kind of grow up, then um, we maybe pick pick up the sneaky suspicion along the way that the the real Christian heavyweights, you know, spend their time kind of ruminating on the more difficult letters of Paul. You know, preferably in Greek. You know, but um, and and so what I wanted to include those read. I mean. They, 
one of those readings is from Paul in one of his you know, difficult letters. But what they're saying is Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God and all of, his dwellness, all of his fullness dwells in him and he's the exact representation of his being. And, and, and what, what, what that means is, fundamentally, you can boil it down to the fact that, that God is like Jesus. And Jesus reveals the Father, what God is like, and it's partly by his explicit teachings and what he's teaching us, and that's, that's great, we listen to that, but also just by how, he, how he's behaving and how he, how he interacts with people and how he, how he treats people. And the, the genius of God's revelation here is that we can look at this story, which, you know, we're going we're gonna to look at in a minute, and well, any of these stories, really, in Matthew that we've been looking for, and so can the pebbles out the back, and and, they, and we can all we can all understand something of what God is like through that. Okay, that's amazing, isn't it? So so my girls are coming up for three and five, and I can tell you that experientially they know exactly what kindness and unkindness looks and feels like, and they can engage with the idea that God is like Jesus, and that when Jesus is kind to people, that's the kind of God that He reveals to be yeah and that's simple enough for a child to understand but it's also deep enough that you can we can spend our whole lifetime of um, discipleship pursuing its riches there's such gold in these in these stories you know um so there's a, a pastor and author that i uh, whose work i value a chap called brian zand from america and he's if you listen to his sermons he's always reminding his congregation this he says god is like jesus and god doesn't change so god has always been like jesus and there's never been a time when god hasn't been like jesus we haven't always known that but we do now and that's how he frames everything and i find that so helpful because that's good news isn't it i i I, it is it's good news because it it's it's hard to love a doctrine isn't it do you think i think it is you can love a person but if, if your kind of construct of God is just from abstract theological and doctrinal propositions, I mean, that, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? But when you look at the person of Jesus and you understand the living person, this is who God is, this is what God is like, I find that so helpful. Anyway, right, we're going to look at the passage now, so I'll read it. I think it will come up on the screen. It's on page 973 of your church Bibles. It's short. Right. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. And knowing their thoughts... Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So I'll just set some real quick context. 
Um, so we're in Matthew's gospel, okay? So this is Matthew's gospel. It starts at the beginning with a genealogy, and then there's sort of Christmas stories that come out about um, wise men and King Hedwards and so on. And then it kind of moves on to um, Jesus being baptized and receiving the Spirit. Then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted in chapter 4. And then after those trials, he calls some of the, the first disciples, um, Peter and James and John. And then he kind of goes out healing people and kind of demonstrating the kingdom a little bit. Then he pops up on a hillside and delivers what we call the Sermon on the Mount in sort of chapters 5, 6, 7, which is what we looked at kind of last year. Um, and then we're into our current block. He comes down again. And then he's kind of in this sort of space where he seems to be kind of traveling around. There's perpetual crowds following him about the place and he's kind of healing people and delivering people and generally doing his thing. So you remember he's, he's just, he's been over a lake, um, the, the Sea of Galilee, calmed a storm on the way, popped over to the other side, um, healed a couple of severely troubled individuals Um, got into a bit of a kerfuffle involving a herd of pigs. Then the crowd asked him to leave, so he's just got in the boat. So when we start with Jesus stepped into a boat, so that's where he's just come from, just straight off the back of that, back over there, um, you know, six miles or whatever it is across the water. And here he is, okay. So he's in his his own town. Did you notice that? So it's probably Capernaum, but... There's, it's his own town, okay? Family, family connections. Just think about your, your hometown um, for a minute, or maybe where you've grew up or somewhere that's significant to you, but that's where you're, you're connected to. And you, you know the people there. The people know you. You know, these are small, small communities. And there's history. Um, so then, verse 2. So some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, in, if you read this in Mark and Luke's gospel, um, there's this, this detail about th- this is um, the one where the, they come through the roof, they smash the roof down because the, the, the friends arrive and there, there's so many people there. And Matthew, um, Matthew leaves that detail out, and I, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not going to criticise him because he can do what he likes, but I, I'd have, I, it's, there's, a lot, there's so much drama there, isn't there? I just think it's such a great story. Um, but anyway, but, so he's in, it's just Jesus' hometown. We don't know whose house it was, but chances are it was one of his contacts or, you know, somebody new. I mean, it could have been um, Peter's house where his mother-in-law was just healed. That, that, we saw that in the same bit. Um, and again, the, the, the man, the paralyzed man, we're not, we're not told a lot of details about him, are we? I think he was quite young. Uh, so Jesus is barely in his 30s at this point, is he? And he kind of calls him, calls him son, you know. So I, I think there's, there's this kind of a youthful kind of element to, this, to this, this chap. And we don't know how he was paralyzed. I mean, Jesus might have known him. You know, it's again a small town. You know, it's his home. He, he's been there. He would have... He might have known him. Um, and we, the, remember, he tells him to pick up his mat and go home, so it implies, again, that he was kind of from this, from this region, you know. Uh, so how was he paralyzed? I don't know. When, when was he paralyzed? How long ago? Um, was it years ago, or was it quite a fresh kind of situation? Was it all quite acute? We're not told, are we? Now, this is the kind of thing that sort of sparks my professional 
curiosity um, when I think about this kind of thing. Because um, so my job, I'm a doctor, and I specialise in neurointensive care. That's that's where I spend most of my my working life, and that's kind of we deal amongst other things with patients that have got kind of um, catastrophic brain and spinal injuries. So I see quite a lot of patients in a similar in a similar situation to this to this man. Um, which I'll, I'll talk about a bit, a bit about that later. But can you just, just imagine the scene here? So the faces of these, these lads up on the roof kind of peering in, and we've, we've just been, we sang a lot about falling at your feet, you know, which uh, I, I don't think the lyricist had that image in mind. It was probably more of a kind of a sort of dumping rather than a, you know, chaos. Can you just imagine it? And then, but, but Jesus, is he, is he angry at the distraction? He doesn't. You know, if a fire alarm went off now, I'd probably feel a bit annoyed, you know, from distracting from what I'm trying to do. But there doesn't seem to be that, does it? He, his kind of reaction seems to be one of kindness towards the man. And, um, you know, he, he kind of deals with him. But And he's impressed with their faith, isn't he? So, I mean, it was a creative solution that the friends have come up with. But I, I don't know if Jesus saw the funny side. I don't know. But who, I'll tell you who didn't see the funny side um, were the teachers of the law. So just in, in verse 3 here. So it says at this, um, the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. The at this is him saying, your, your sins are forgiven. Okay. And then knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? So it is possible that Jesus had some sort of miraculous knowledge about what, what was going on in their thoughts. Um, but I have observed that some people's thoughts are easier to read than, than others, particularly in a group situation where there's a strong sense of disagreement or hostility. Okay, So um, I don't know what's going on, but this, I'm, I'm, in my mind I'm picturing murmuring and grumbling and he can't do that you know i don't think it was a secret what they were what they were thinking here so what is the answer to jesus question actually what's it easier to say well it's easy i mean you can say anything it's easy enough to say anything isn't it but obviously one is more um demonstrable so um which is why i think he goes on to say so what, but in verse 6, so what I want you to know is that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So Jesus um, answers his own question here, wasn't he? And, and the man is healed, and the the, the the crowd are filled with awe and they praise God. And I think it's worth noting that this was not an inevitable outcome of this. Um, if you just look at the previous crowd, um, how they reacted to Jesus' healings in, um, just in the last verse of chapter 8, they, uh, they asked him, they said, they pleaded with him to leave, you know, and he did. Um, right, okay. So that's just my kind of scene setting for the, this narrative, okay. But I don't want this talk to be a, um, a spectator sport, okay? So what I'm going to do now is just kind of invite you into to participate, okay? More with me. Um, but it will be in a, a kind of quiet kind of way, okay? So don't worry about that. That's, there, there won't be kind of talking. So what, what I want you to do 
um, is just to think about the various characters within this within this story. Okay, so um, I won't ask you to, to shout them out, but the, the characters I I've identified. Okay, so we've got the the paralysed man, haven't we? So he's one. <clears throat> we've got his friends, um, and then we've obviously we've got Jesus. Um, and within Jesus, he's a bit of a special case. So I'm, I'm kind of lumping together with, with Jesus his, his close disciples. Okay, so his, his, um, they've committed to, to being his apprentices, in fact, and they're trying to learn to do what he does. Um, so that's, that's another group, Jesus and the close disciples. Then we've got the teachers of the law, haven't we? And then we've got the crowds that are, that are watching Case, paralyzed man, friends, Jesus, disciples, teachers, the law, and the crowd. So, what I want you to do um, is, is just to ask yourself which of the characters in this story do you identify with um, in this moment? Okay, and there's, there's, not a, there's not a right answer, of course, um, but maybe just, just take a quiet pause to ask God to speak to you through this little exercise and try and be opening to listening to any, any promptings. Because I'm, I'm going to go through the characters in a bit more detail and try and draw out some of their story. Okay. And so just, just try to be attentive if God is prompting you with anything. Okay. <clears throat> so we'll start with the paralyzed, paralyzed man. Okay. So... As I said, we're not told what, what exactly has happened to him, but um, if you'll indulge me to speculate medically. Uh, so it could have been a, a sort of a viral infection like polio that was common at the time. Um, maybe the, the fever went round his, his household, his friends, and you know, it affects people in different ways. Most of them kind of got a bit sick and feverish and then got better. But not him. His, it's gone, gone into his spine, and suddenly he finds that he can't use his legs anymore. Um, and so he's trying to work out, you know, why has that happened to me? You know, or um, he could have had something like a, what, we, what we would call an autoimmune inflammatory condition, like um, Guillain-Barré syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's when, for some reason, the, the body's own uh, immune system attacks its nerve cells and sort of destroys them but it's um it kind of maybe with him it starts with some some tingling in his feet which he he ignores and then it's his his feet and hands and then it's seems to be moving up his legs and now he's unsteady and he can't walk and he's hoping that it will get better but it's it's not getting better it's moving up and up and up and now he can't move he's can't move his legs, can't feel anything. It's going higher and higher over the, over the hours and the days. And where's it going to stop? Is it going to paralyze his breathing? Is he going to suffocate? Is this going to be the end? He's frightened, frightened. Imagine what that would be like. No idea what's happening. And then it, but it, it does seem to stop. It maybe stops out so he can still breathe, but he's completely, completely dependent. Um, or maybe what's happened to this guy is, that is the most common cause of kind of paralysis that I see in, in young men. Um, some sort of physical trauma, something as, as simple as that. He was, 
he fell off something and broke his back and sustained an instant spinal cord injury up a ladder maybe on a construction yard maybe laboring with Jesus you know a few years previously when he was a a builder or maybe he was just messing around on some rocky outcrop or you know a misguided dive into the sea of Galilee bam gone can't move anything these, these mechanisms are complete speculation on my part. They're all, they're all plausible. Um, but what I can tell you is that however it happened, that this man had a before and after his injury. Okay, So his, his whole life now pivots around this moment. Everything's changed in an instant. You think about him, young man, what's happened to his future plans now? He can't walk, he can't work. What's his family prospects? He can't provide for anyone. Is he going to have children? Um, there's no wheelchairs, there's no state benefits, there's no, you know, kind of support network. He's completely dependent. We know he's got some good mates. We know he's got some good mates, but he's wondering, are they going to go the distance? How many years are they going to be carrying me around, you know? How do you process this kind of trauma? You know, what, what do you think he was feeling? You know, why me? You know, what, what happened? And then I... I think, think about, um, we know that it was common that people thought about these kind of afflictions as, as a kind of punishment from God. So if, if you remember that, there's that story in John 9. Do you remember when the disciples were um, having this debate, when they saw a, ba- a man born blind, and they said to Jesus, so um, who sinned? Was it, was it the man's parents or was it the man born blind because it's obvious that someone sinned because that's the kind of thing that that happens but how can a baby have sinned so badly that it was blind or but is it the parents that doesn't seem quite fair i'm sort of expanding this but this was the question that was that was the framework they're operating on it was this was a punishment from god and Jesus says, no, 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 no one sinned. That's, that's not how it works. He just rejects the assumption. But, but this man doesn't know that. This is the cultural kind of air that he's, he's breathing. And I'm sure he probably would have internalized that and framed it himself. So, so he's probably thinking, um, it, you know, why, why me? And perhaps he's arrived at the position that... Um, you know, God is punishing me, and I, I do deserve it. He knows he's a sinner. I mean, no one's debating he's a sinner, but, but fundamentally, he, you know, God's punishing me. And I think that kind of makes a bit of sense of Jesus' kind of initial reaction to him. I mean, it's not even clear to me from the story whether the man wanted to be there at all. Okay, so how did he get there his, his friends picked him up and kind of carried him slash you know dropped him <laughs> dropped him through a ceiling you know very undignified I mean he was he was paralyzed so he couldn't have put up much of a struggle even if he didn't want to go um, but look at so whose faith is it that impresses Jesus here is it his what's it say their faith their faith so it's definitely the, at the very least it's his friends and him working together um, but it, it might just be more his friends. You know, I, I don't know what kind of agency he, he had here. I mean, he might have just been, you know, so depressed and running on empty by the situation that he, he's just sort of dumped at your, you know, falling at your feet. You know, it doesn't even say that he asked Jesus for forgiveness. There's no kind of nice 
nicely rehearsing his prayer here. It's just kind of, you know, he's fallen at our, fallen at his feet, as it were, as we were singing, you know. But um, then there's this kind of key interaction, isn't there, with the story? This broken man, I think, broken in every way, um, looks up at looks up at Jesus, and Jesus maybe kind of gets down to his level, and and what's he say? He says, "Take heart, son." Sins are forgiven. Now, I, I don't think that Jesus was looking around the room and he saw this man and thought, ooh, here's a good opportunity to make some theological points to provoke the teachers of the law, you know? I, 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 he didn't see this man as a disability. He didn't see this man as a theological illustration, but he saw him as a person and he treated him as such, okay? And I, I think that Jesus told this man exactly what this man needed to hear in that moment and this is this is the healing you know jesus fundamentally changes his story and remember what i said at the beginning um when i was talking about this is jesus is the image of the invisible god this is the exact representation of his being okay this is what god is like this is what we believe that's good news that's good news isn't it yeah that's good news okay okay um, so what about his friends? So maybe you feel prompted to identify with the friends in this story. So their, their faith in, in Jesus is, is literally carrying this man along. I don't know how long they've been friends with him. For all of his life, maybe? Um, but have they, and then what, how, what do they see the future for this guy? Have they thought about it? How, you know, then they assume this is going to be it for him. And they hear of Jesus' healings, you know, there's a glimmer of hope there. They love their friend, but it's a slog. It really is. Can you just imagine what it's like to carry a full-grown man uh, on a mat? Okay, <laughs> it's, it's hard work, you know. It's hard work, two people pushing a bed on wheels around the hospital, right? I can tell you that. I do it quite often. But it's even harder. It just And then... And their persistence, you know, is going to be slow. And then they get there, and then there's no room everywhere because it's full of people. So they, do they give up? No. Someone's got a crazy idea. So they just get up on the roof and start scrabbling through the tiles. And um, there's a sort of, uh, a sort of optimistic um, tenacity amongst them, which I, I find quite, quite endearing. I... I I, I, I kind of like, like these guys. I, I, I kind of, that helps me picture them as kind of young men. They've got that kind of, it'll be fine, you know, we'll get up and, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, haven't they? And then they get their mate to Jesus. And then they, then they watch what unfolds. That's their role. I don't know if, if that's something you maybe identify with at the moment. And then the teachers of the law, okay, so these are interesting, aren't they? So these are the, the theologically trained, they're biblically literate. Um, people come with them, with, to them with their, their difficult questions about things and they, they rather enjoy that sort of sense of power over people, you know. Their opinions matter. Um, but they're, they're here in the room where Jesus is working and they seem to be assuming a posture of critique, aren't they? Um, maybe they kind of see themselves more as a sort of detached observer of what's going on and I think if they were here, they'd, they'd be the ones that sort of sit in the church and maybe sort of scrutinize the song lyrics or the sermon content um, with a similar 
posture of suspicion and critique, and they're kind of looking for any errors. Um, and if you if you challenge them, they they'd say that oh, we're just uh, guarding our doctrine carefully and watching out for false teachers. But I think the truth is they they quite enjoy it when they do find some errors. You see, there's there's something of a there's something of an attitude of of, um, of heart that can um, move you in the wrong direction and and lead it to. Um, Jesus calling them evil thoughts, you know, which sounds a bit harsh, but, um, and I know about them, okay, because I, I, I confess that's something, that's a place I've, I've been in the, in the past, and uh, I, I still feel the pull sometimes, and it's not a, it's not a nice place to be that, um, brings life, okay, so I find these teachers, um, the possibility of these teachers, they're quite, quite frightening, Okay, so the fact that they could be there, right there in the room with Jesus, watching him do his thing, and they can miss it. I mean, that's, you know, that should make, give us a bit of kind of pause for some humility. And to be fair, within, the, within their framework, they do raise a legitimate criticism, don't they? they? They're assuming that Jesus isn't God, then he is blaspheming because he shouldn't be forgiving sins. So they're, they're not kind of, they're not wrong in what they're saying Per se, I mean they are wrong, but there's there's an attitude towards God that's the problem. They don't kind of say, uh, you know, there's not an engagement of it in a kind of humble way, and that Jesus can correct them. They kind of go all in, bam, condemning him. And of course, Jesus brings their whole framework crashing down, doesn't he? Um, and and I think there's a lesson there for some of us that. Um, you know, God is like Jesus, as I said at the beginning. And if, if your kind of theolo- theological framework you've kind of constructed has led you to a God that doesn't look like Jesus, then you've got it wrong. <laughs> and you've got some work to do, maybe, to find out where it's gone wrong. But that's the conclusion. That's the conclusion. Um, so what about Jesus and, Jesus and his disciples himself again? With I'm just trying to think about maybe... Who you identify with in the story? And we, it's hard to align ourselves sometimes with Jesus in these stories, isn't it? Um, we kind of maybe think of ourselves more as the kind of clueless disciples or the or the, the people receiving kind of healing. And, and obviously, Jesus is unique in some ways. We are not going to be healing, um, forgiving sins, and so on. Um, but but Jesus' disciples, they're right there, and they, they're learning by watching. And discipleship is really kind of this apprenticeship relationship and that is what we're called to be um uh, and so dallas willard has often, he's got this um quote which I, I found really helpful over the years and he, he says discipleship this is discipleship is the process where i learn to live my life the way that jesus would have lived my life if he were me okay so it's it's like it, it's kind of like being like jesus but what would it look like if jesus had my job, my family, my health, you know, and trying to get into that kind of way of thinking with his help. Um, so, so that is a legitimate application for some of us, maybe. So I don't know if we work in caring professions or ministries of healing and restoration and we want to kind of identify with what Jesus is doing um, for the man or working with him and partnering in his kingdom work. But maybe we need just to learn to see people like this man with a a little bit more compassion, a little bit less judgment. So then lastly, we've got the crowd, haven't we? And, and maybe that's where you kind of see yourself positioned. That's fine. Most of them were. They're maybe interested in, in watching, and you've, you've had a good view of the interactions of what's going on within the, um, between the keen players. But, 
Yeah, kind of a little bit curious, but also slightly safely anonymous, you know? And you're not really following all the technical chat with the religious leaders about sins and whatnot. They seem pretty angry about it. But at the end of the day, you've just seen, you know, this fella who couldn't walk. He's now been healed. Um, And maybe that raises more questions than it answers. But you're nonetheless happy to give thanks to God and praise him for his goodness and kindness of man. Okay. So those are the groups I've thought of. Okay, so as we come near the end. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read the passage again slowly. And I'd like to invite you to just kind of prayerfully imagine yourself into the story, um, maybe alongside one of the characters that I've just described, maybe as you as you felt prompted, okay? So, <clears throat> so just if you sit in a comfortable position, maybe close your eyes, um, take a couple of deep breaths just to quieten down. And we believe the same Jesus is alive today and wants to speak to us, um, just as he did back then. So, so just ask Jesus to speak to you now quietly. So Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers in the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, go home. And then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So just as we continue in silent prayer, I'd like you to try and imagine yourself... um, in whichever person you've identified for this story, okay? So just sitting alone on the shore of the Lake of Galilee, you can see Jesus' boat still pulled up there where he arrived earlier. But the crowds have all dispersed now. Sun's going down, it's pleasantly warm, you can hear the waves on the shore. You're just sitting quietly, just thinking about what you've witnessed today, just trying to process it all. How are you feeling? And then you you hear someone approaching and you look up 
And it's Jesus. He's walking towards you. No crowds this time. Just, just you two. And he comes up and sits down next to you. And he turns towards you. What's his expression like? What do you want to say to him? Is he saying anything back? I'm just going to leave you sitting with Jesus for a couple of minutes in silence before we um, listen to the next song.